Listener Production. An Indigenous rapper has called out the ARIA Music Awards. We so mission famous, brother, that's that greatness. They could never phase us. That's Tasman Keith, who's called the Arias an outdated platform that, quote, isn't set up for a small-town mission kid, but it's set up for the big-label white man. He says the awards platform is, quote, held up by privileged white record executives whose entire purpose is to sell our stories while keeping the majority of the profits. So in our briefing, we're going to put those claims directly to the boss of Aria. That's in the second half of the episode. First, today's headlines. It is Friday, the 16th of September. Tom Tilly and Rihanna Patrick with you. Tennis legend Roger Federer has announced his retirement. He took to social media overnight, breaking the news to fans after 24 years of playing. I consider myself one of the most fortunate people on earth. I was given a special talent to play tennis, and I did it at a level that I never imagined for much longer than I ever thought possible. Yeah, what an incredible player, what an incredible role model as well. So after 1,500 matches, next week's Labor Cup in London will be his final ATP event. He won 20 Grand Slam titles and six of those were from the Australian Open, but he's slowed down in recent years. He hasn't competed since Wimbledon last year. So it's big news in tennis. I mean, I think we're seeing a big changing of the guard as well in in the men's game. The big three reigning, dominating all the um, Grand Slams. Um, That time is over. Nadal and Djokovic still there in the top 10, just hanging on. Um, We saw some new names come to the top of the rankings, Alcarez and Rudd after the US Open. So yeah, big changes there. Uh, I think for me, Rihanna, the the big narrative remaining that, that I'm really interested in is whether Djokovic can come back and tank more Grand Slam titles after this strange few years where he hasn't been able to play because of his vaccine stance. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And of course, um, due for the Australian Open. Um, I thought it was interesting, uh, that Federer acknowledged that his body is not doing what he needs it to. And I think in his statement, he said, I know my body's capacity and limits and that its message to me lately has been clear. And I think he's taken that on. And, you know, he does say it's a bittersweet decision for him. I think, um, he also said in his statement that there was also so much to celebrate. Well, he's 41 and it's, you know, it's actually very unusual that a pro tennis player would play this late um, into their life. So um, he's really pushed the boundaries there. Just another quick sporting story that uh, I know that you'll care about. Hopefully our audience do too. <laughs> the Wallabies are demanding a please explain from World Rugby after a, quote, disgraceful refereeing decision in the final minute of the game last night. The Bledisloe Cup, it was an incredible match, an amazing comeback from the Wallabies. Um, but right before full time, um, it was ruled that Bernard Foley, the 5'8", took too long to kick a penalty and they gave the All Blacks a scrum and they scored on, on the buzzer. Yeah, it was – I don't know if I've seen that many players not be on the field. Uh, well, yeah, there were quite a few yellow cards. There were. But maybe the next game will be better. Well, Prince William says walking behind the Queen's cortege to Westminster has been challenging – uh, and that it brought back a few memories. Now, these were comments made to a member of the public as the Prince and Princess of Wales met well-wishers outside Sandringham Castle in Norfolk overnight. Yeah, famously in 1997, a young William and Harry had to make a similar walk behind their mother's coffin. And those images, of course, went all around the world. And I'm sure uh, something that mm. we've never forgotten. 
No, absolutely. Now, as that happens, tens of thousands of people are still queuing to see the Queen's coffin at Westminster Hall, and the wait is at least eight hours. We queued for six, seven hours, and then it was over so quickly. But inside, it was amazing. It was really quiet, and it's finally sunk in. Yeah, they're having a real moment. That was one of the mourners on Channel 10. Um, These people lining up along the Thames um, for this moment to pay their respects to the Queen, and some of the images just... I guess show how much she meant to people. The World Health Organization says the end of the pandemic is in sight as the number of new COVID cases plummets. Last week, the number of weekly reported deaths from COVID-19 was the low since March 2020. We have never been in a better position to end the pandemic. Yeah, it came with a message not to take the eyes off the prize as well. Um, Australian health experts are advising um, we're still going to see a long tail. And one of the heartening things that we are seeing at this stage of the pandemic is the lack of new dangerous variants emerging. Um, Epidemiologists say the longer we go without a new variant, the lower the chance is of a new one emerging. So that is a really good sign. Chinese leader Xi Jinping has made his first trip out of China since the start of the pandemic to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Yeah, they called each other old friends as they met. Uh, The two are in the Central Asian country of Uzbekistan for a summit. Putin says he understands that Xi Jinping has concerns about Ukraine, but praised the Chinese leader for his balanced position on the conflict. Yeah, Beijing has been careful not to give material support to Russia that could trigger, I guess, Western sanctions. And the last time the two met, they signed a no-limits friendship agreement between their two countries. And three weeks later, Russia invaded the Ukraine. Yeah, and uh, Western media and Western leaders are poring over every minute detail, body language, the use of words when these two meet for any signs of, of what might be to come from this, this relationship. All right, in just a moment, the Arias respond to some pretty stinging critique. That's the sound of Tasman Keith, who's a rapper who grew up in the former mission town of Barrowville on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. That track is called Mission Famous, and it is his most listened to track on Spotify with half a million streams. So he's put out an album called A Colour Undone, which I guess he was hoping would be in aria contention. It got 160,000 streams on Spotify, but it wasn't available in physical format. And according to Triple J, it got to number 18 on the Australian hip-hop R&B albums chart. Now, in his post on Tuesday on social media, he criticised the ARIA Awards and he pointed out that the album won't be nominated for Album of the Year or Best Hip-Hop Release. I'll summarise the main points of the post. He said that the criteria is still structured mainly around a system which upweights physical formats and downloads, not streams. He said that artists should have the same opportunity in these moments as those with the big budget, judge the art, not the chart, especially when the charting criteria is still based on an outdated system. He also said that the system is not providing the same playing field for those that suffer the effects of systematic oppression and that it's not set up for a small town mission kit, it's set up for the big white label man. And as a First Nations person, I shouldn't need to change the system to simply be acknowledged by it. That's been the problem with Australia. 
So, Rihanna, this was a topic that you brought to the table here at the briefing. What resonated for you about what Tasman's had to say? Yeah, look, I will put it out there, straight up transparency. I'm a big fan of Tasman and this latest album. And I guess for me, I thought I could see a lot of truth in what he was talking about, particularly around the system involved and how that can affect someone who might be disadvantaged in some way and those other things that play into it, particularly when you're an Indigenous artist. But I can also see the other side to it too, of that it's an award. These are awards. They have certain criteria that you need to meet and there's certain eligibility as well. And that that's how awards work. Mm. Well, let's drill further into it. We did ask Tasman to come on the briefing, um, but he declined. So that's why we've just, I guess, brought his views through his statement. Um, We'll speak to the ARIA boss in a moment. First, let's go to um, someone who's an ARIA judge and a well-known music journo, Sosafina Fulmoli. So, so thanks for joining us. What did you make of Tasman's critique of the Arias? I found validity in it. I feel like artistically, he's not going to be the only artist who feels a way um, about their body of work not being recognised by Aria. I believe that his record, A Colour Undone, is probably one of the more original and worthy albums, uh, specifically when it comes to Australian hip hop that has been released this year. So I definitely can see where he's coming from in terms of, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of albums that have been released in the last 12 months that won't even be in contention because of the way the ARIA system has been set up. However, it's a hard one because I, I know how ARIA is established and I know what the, the judging criteria is. So it's, it's a strange one for me because I can understand both sides of the argument. Artistically, I completely get it, but that there is part of me that feels like the emotion and the anger behind it should be a broader conversation as to, you know, how systemically things maybe need to change. So do you think the ARIA criteria is unfair, which is what he's alleging? Um, not necessarily. I feel like the way that it's been built is slightly outdated. I mean, if we're going to be looking at the board, you know, the sorts of people who are submitting albums largely they are from major labels I feel like that certainly is outdated I feel like there could be more room for more indie labels more indie publishers and independent artists to have the ability to even nominate their records but again it's aria largely it's based on charts it's based on sales it's based on quote-unquote the more traditional format of how these these sorts of music awards are stacked and that is by chart success. So it's not necessarily ARIA itself. It's more like how do we define what a successful album is? Are we looking at specifically physical sales? Are we going to be completely enveloping streams as well into that? So are we going to be looking at both the traditional way of selling a record and the more modern way that people are consuming it? Like I feel like we can get angry at ARIA all we want, but we need to look at how things have evolved in terms of, you know, what defines commercial music success and independent music's space within that format. I feel like that's what we should really be talking about. A lot of the music community, not necessarily restricted to hip hop, but just across the board period, the ARIAs maybe don't have the level of artistic validation or artistic impact that, say, the opera songwriting awards do. 
or see the Air Awards do, you know, the awards that really do focus on songwriting impact, on production, on, you know, more technical and creative elements of an album as opposed to how well it's charted. That was Sosefina Fuamoli. And let's go to Annabelle Hurd, the CEO of ARIA, which is the organisation which runs the awards. Annabelle, I mean, what was your response to seeing Tasman's criticisms? Look, I understand the frustration that artists are feeling and that particularly Tasman's feeling around Australian music and streaming and charts and all of, all of that at the moment. It is incredibly difficult. The ARIA awards aren't particularly based on streaming. There's a combination of factors that make you eligible um, for an ARIA award. They're different for each category of award. We review those criteria every single year because we know that things are changing so quickly. And we did that this year. And we send out proposed criteria to all of our members and say, hey, can you please have a look at this? Is it still relevant? Can you think about your artists and their releases and whether whether these criteria are going to work for you? And we take that feedback and we, you know, change the criteria year to year. But unfortunately this year, you know, Tasman's release just didn't meet the criteria that we had set for this year. Yeah, Annabelle, I mean, Tasman has mentioned that the criteria upweights physical formats and downloads, not streams. And is it true that streams aren't weighed as much as physical formats or downloads? I mean, how does that work? No, it's absolutely not true. The way the charts work is that we, you know, we look across the board at all forms of consumption Physical is included, but streaming, of course, paid streaming, ad-supported streaming, it's all weighted differently, but physical definitely does not receive any heavier weighting. The problem with the chart criteria this year with Tasman's album was that it didn't get into the top 20 Australian hip-hop albums. That was the issue with the criteria this year around hip-hop category. So another comment in his post was essentially saying that the system should give the same playing field for those that suffer the effects of systematic oppression. Is there a way of doing that? I mean, one idea would be, you know, obviously he's talking about Indigenous Australians have suffered systematic oppression. Should we have an Indigenous category? Would that be a way of doing that so that people from that community are raised up and therefore it's a, a, I guess, a well-intentioned attempt to put them up on the same playing field as everyone else and understand how much harder it's been to get there. Yeah, look, I believe there was an Indigenous yeah. category, a First Nations category a while ago before my time. And, you know, there were issues, I think, around who qualified for it. We are always open to looking at ways to promote First Nations music. 100% I'm open to that discussion. We changed our awards last year. You know, we made Best Male and Best Female into Best Artist. And that was because we wanted to put all artists on the same platform, you know, not to separate them by, you know, gender because gender doesn't really affect um, how good you are at making music. So we're definitely open to having that conversation if that's what First Nations Music Committee wants us to do, 100% open to that. Yeah, I guess, Annabelle, I'm wondering, you know, speaking about, you know, him referencing that and talking about the system, I mean, what has the work ARIA you know, been doing, I guess, in the space when it comes to Indigenous artists and, the, you know, generally for, you know, the way that it works and engages with the Indigenous community? Yeah, the ARIAs exist to both recognise artist achievement, but really also just to promote Australian music. It's a great platform. We're on a free-to-air broadcaster to a big audience, and we only do that to promote local music. 
We also do a lot of advocacy with government. You know, with the new government, there's a big review of national cultural policy and we engage with that. And our primary focus around that is to create more opportunities for Australian music to be heard. So, you know, in relation to First Nations music, there is so much more that we can do, but we have really, um, you know, for example, in our own teams, we've done a whole lot of engagement with our staff, talking to a lot of First Nations people around what they want us to do, because obviously we need this to be First Nations led. And, you know, as part of the music industry review that's just been done, there was obviously a lot of data that came out of that. And we were pretty involved with um, getting that up and going. And it's a shocking report and reveals some horrible behaviour that's been happening in this industry. But one of the other things it reveals is there is a big problem with racism. So we have a lot of work to do. That was Annabelle Hurd, CEO of ARIA. Um, Rihanna, what do you make of that, I guess, debate about having an Indigenous category again? Yeah, look, I was at Triple J News when the category got cut and I remember reporting on that and the reason that was given was that there wasn't enough Indigenous releases to sustain that category. But I think all this time later, we definitely have seen a growth in the Indigenous music industry. And I think having an award like that is quite important for a number of reasons, not just some of those the complex system of eligibility that we've just heard about of how Mm. to even be nominated for an ARIA. But I think it's also about visibility and visibility of Indigenous peoples in that space. Yeah, it's been an interesting conversation we've had on this one. Hugely complex, obviously, because you're talking about much broader societal issues, even though he's put the focus on the ARIA awards. And, you know, I've been to Barraville. I've, I've seen the community that he's come from and it's amazing what he's achieved and it's great to see him making music that's that's resonating and building a music career. And, you know, I think given our society and the way it's built, the way it's structured, where the power lies, it is so much harder for, for someone from that background to, to do what he's doing and that needs to be recognised. But his specific criticisms about ARIA, I, I don't think they quite stack up. I mean, even if you just look at his point on streaming, there are lots of other hip hops artists and albums that have streamed a lot better than his this year and and some of them are indigenous like baker boy and birds yeah and i think again it's that whole thing hate the game not the player (laughs) i think is what they say and i think you know you know what you're getting into when you're looking at aria awards and what they need in order for you to be eligible and in order for you to be nominated unfortunately and the aria awards are based on charts and sales but there are other music awards out there that recognize critical acclaim and and creativity and, and songwriting. All right, that is it for your Monday to Friday briefing. Jamila will be in your feed tomorrow with The Weekend Briefing. Jamila, who are you speaking to this week? Thanks, Tom. Thanks, team. This weekend, I am chatting to someone I'm really delighted has become a mate of mine, and that's Hugh Van Seilenberg from The Imperfects podcast and The Resilience Project. Hugh works in the area of resilience and also of vulnerability and gratitude and empathy. The kind of conversation that I think normally would make me go, oh no, thank you, sounds a little bit. Yeah, I would have rolled my eyes and kept moving, right? But Hugh Van Seilenberg makes you stop in your tracks. He is the real deal. He is an excellent human being and he has this really lovely no nonsense but also kind and smart approach to delivering what is research-backed psychology he does it in a way that doesn't feel like it's homework but just makes you want to lean in and hear more if you need a little bit of a mood boost this weekend 
please take the time to listen. Very nice. That is Jamila Rizvi with The Weekend Briefing. Um, a big thank you to our hardworking team at The Briefing, um, executive producer Dan Mullins, who's heading off on a, um, a short but beautiful little pilgrimage for a few weeks. Um, our producers, Brooke Lava and Eleanor Harrison-Dengate. Our socials team, Poppy Manzi and Sarah Boll and Matt Kuzkari, our editor. Have a great weekend. We'll catch you Monday. Listener.